Our scripture for today is Romans 5, 1 through 6, and Titus 2, 11 through 14. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed, blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It is a joy to be back together with you this morning. My family and I had the pleasure to be with you Last fall, and uh, I'm married to my wife, Amanda. They, she's back home. I've got five kids from uh, 20 months old to 15. My 15-year-old son is with me this morning. And we got to stay with you guys last year. It was late October, November. And my kids, we left. We're on the way home. And they said, we want to move to Collins. And I, I hear there's people that want to do that. That's pretty amazing. That's a, but my kids loved their time here last year. And for those of you who don't know me, as they said, my name is uh, Justin Dean, and I planted a church in Davenport, Iowa, and I am an Iowa boy through and through. I was born and raised just outside of the Quad Cities in a small farm community very similar to this one. And uh, I'm one of those rare souls who never left his hometown. Um, I graduated high school and started a small business in our area. I got married young to my wife, Amanda. I ended up finishing both my undergrad and my seminary school online and served as a youth pastor for about 10 years before God called me to plant Sacred City Church about 11 years ago. In fact, my only time away from my hometown for any significant amount of time was when I completed a two-year church planting residency in Omaha, Nebraska with Acts 29, the, the network we're both a part of. So I love Iowa, and I can't even imagine living anywhere else, and I'm passionate about seeing more gospel-centered, Jesus-loving, Bible-preaching churches planted all across our state. And that's why I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for your pastor, and uh, it's been a blessing to see what God's done in your church over the past few years and what God's doing across our state as well. So uh, it's a joy to be with you this morning. And just to let you know, um, my wife tells me that I'm a lot, okay? I'm just gonna say that. I'm kind of a lot, all right? And what she means by that is I am a very intense person. And I cannot apologize for that because that's how God made me, all right? I wrestled in high school. I wrestled in college. And then I grew up and I ended up doing MMA for a while. I fought in a cage. I am just an intense person and I can't apologize for it. So I might be too much for you, all right? Just give me grace this morning. That's all I ask, all right? Give me grace. I'm too much for myself a lot of times. All right, so let me pray for us, and uh, we can jump in and studying our text together. 
Gracious Father, I just thank you for your, your spirit. Um, I just sense that your spirit is here this morning, that there is uh, hopeful, hopefulness because of your, of your spirit stirring hope in and amongst your people. We put all of our hope in you, Jesus Christ. We don't put our hope in our own circumstances. We don't put our hope in any other thing. We put our hope in you. And this morning, I just I ask that you would direct my thinking, that you would direct my speaking, that it would be all of you and none of me, that you would help your sheep hear your voice and a voice of another they would not hear and they would not follow. Father, I need your help and your people need your help. Would you speak through me? Would you help them hear what you would have uh, them here this morning. Would you do this all for your glory and our good? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as we've heard already this morning, this is the first Sunday of Advent. Now, some of you might be asking, what is Advent? To be honest, I had never even heard the word Advent before I planted Sacred City Church. Um, the word Advent is taken from the Latin Adventus, that means arrival. And so what it is, it's a time where we study, as a church, we study the arrivals or the comings of Jesus Christ. So we really want to do two things. We want to look back at Jesus' first coming, and then we want to kind of look forward in faith to Jesus' second coming. And one of the ways the church has historically celebrated this season of Advent was the four Sundays before Christmas, they study the gospel themes of hope, Love, peace, and joy. Maybe not in that in order. They can mix them up as however they want. And that's what you guys are going to be doing as a church. And so this week, we're kicking off this Advent time, um, studying the theme of hope. So I want to answer three questions for us this morning. Number one, what is hope? Number two, where should I put my hope? Or where should you put your hope? And three, how are we to get? Hope. Pretty simple outline this morning. So first one, what is hope? Well, I know we don't get too excited about that word very often. It has become kind of a watered-down expression in our culture. It's lost most of its potency, hasn't it? Just what is hope? We say we hope for all kinds of things, right? I hope this guy doesn't preach for an hour, right? We hope that someday Iowa will have an offense, right? We, as my son said last year, my son got a 10-point buck last year, and as we were throwing him in the truck, he said, I hope I get a 12-point next year. I said, it doesn't really work like that, bud, right? We hope in all kinds of things, right? We hope the weather turns. We hope, we hope, we hope. It seems in our culture today, hope is really nothing more than a wish for a future positive outcome. That hope is really a flip of the coin, and we just hope that it's heads. Well, that's not the biblical definition of hope, or that's not Christian hope. The Bible defines hope as, quote, a confident expectation for the future. The author of the book of Hebrews says that Christians should have, quote, the full assurance of hope until the end. The full assurance. There's a Christian hope comes with it, a surety, a guarantee. That there's not a wishy-washy hope. Let's just throw it up in the air and maybe the wind blows in the right direction. That there's a, an assurance that comes with Christian hope. See, we often 
equate hope with an uncertainty, and yet God's word says that Christian hope is an assurance. That means real hope is something that is actually certain. So when the Bible talks about hope, hope is basically faith looking into the future. Faith looking into the future and landing upon something solid and that changing the way I live my day-to-day life. So biblical hope is a life-changing certainty about the future. That's why the book of Hebrews says this about hope in chapter 6, verse 18, quote, We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. That is one of my favorite terms in all of scripture. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. God says to us here that real hope, Christian hope, is a steadfast anchor of the soul. See, when a captain throws an anchor overboard and it sinks down and lodges into something solid, he is putting his hope in that anchor. He is hoping that it holds and that anchor will keep the ship from being either thrown up on the beach and torn asunder or brought back out to sea and be at the danger of the wind and the waves. He's hoping in that anchor, he's throwing it overboard, hoping that it finds something solid. And that's going to keep his ship and his crewmen safe. But that hope isn't a blind hope. That captain isn't throwing that thing overboard and just, you know, well, it might, it might not. No, his experience and his training and all of his past, uh, every time he's done this before, all of his past experience has taught him that when he does this, it will hold. The anchor lodges into something solid and keep things from being at the mercy of the storm. Well, God says to the Hebrews and to us by extension, real hope is a steadfast, and that word steadfast, we don't use it very often. Steadfast literally means immovable. It is an immovable anchor of the soul. What does that mean for us? Think about the storms that we face in life. Think about the uncertainty, moment by moment, right? We don't know if our heart will continue in the next hour. We don't know that. We don't know what's going to happen to us on the way home. We don't know even how we're going to feel five minutes from now, do we? Our soul, our mind, our will and emotions is oftentimes uncertain. It's often as tumultuous as the weather is. One minute's raining, one minute sun shining, one minute the wind's blowing. We don't know what's going to happen next. And the Bible says Christian hope is an anchor that's meant to be tossed out from us, lodged into something solid, and that it keeps our emotions, it keeps our mind, our will, our emotions, it keeps us safe, it keeps us steady. Hope has the power to keep us safe and sound in the midst of the storms of life that try to wreak havoc on our souls. 
It's even, we're even more susceptible, susceptible to this in our culture because our culture is teaching us that our emotions or our inner desires should be trusted and should be followed. We say things like, follow your heart. We are being told that's what it means to be authentic, to be a real person. It's to follow your heart and go where you feel like you should go. And yet these feelings are so unpredictable and they're often destructive. destructive. Any of us over the age of you know, 16, we've probably followed our heart once or two and it led us into a brick wall, right? Or it led us into something very foolish and very destructive. And we, we look back and said, man, I wish I didn't follow that heart. Right? The Bible tells us our heart is actually desperately wicked and no one can trust it. Our heart, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, the Bible tells us. So the Bible says, don't follow your heart. Well, hope, when it's tossed out from our soul and lodged into something solid, it can actually keep our souls from being in danger being tossed around by our experiences or the uncertainty of our emotions, hope can keep our soul safe from the pressures and demands of living in a fallen world. This is why we all need hope. And a person can't live without hope. It's an anchor for our souls. It can keep us calm. It can keep us safe. It can keep us from following sinful desires that could ruin our life. And here's something that's quite surprising. Confident hope for the future literally has the way or has the power to change how we feel in the moment. Now, how does that work? Hope in the future has a way of reaching back from the future into the reality of today and changing the way we actually feel and we live. Now these things, our culture tells us the things that we feel, we, we, believe our, we often believe our feelings are unchangeable. Our emotions, we can't control my emotions. I just get angry or I just get sad or I just get, I can't control my emotions. Well, actually, that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that hope can actually change the way you feel. Hope can change the way you react or respond to difficult circumstances in your life. All of this can be changed by a simple thing called hope. Now, let me illustrate this for you. Bit of a hypothetical, but it's also got some truth to it, okay? When I, one of my first jobs um, as a young man was for mycogen seeds, and I quit a previous job for a 10-cent raise, okay? Back then, it was four seventy-five an hour, all right? I, yes, I'm that old, okay? Uh, I'm 43 years old. This job... I'm a teenager. I had detasseled before and I had worked in a grocery store before. I was promised this job was very easy. It was very easy. I worked at Mycogen Seeds and I counted seeds into an envelope. One, two, three, 30 per envelope. That's it. That's all I did the whole day. Time didn't exist. When you stepped through the doors, immediately you went into slow motion. And it was one three-hour shift was like 40 hours. It was like a 40-hour work week, right? But here's what's interesting. I was making $4.75 an hour. It felt like forever. It was not worth the job. But here's how hope can change even your current circumstances like that. Pretty meaningless job, pretty boring job. But just imagine if the day I got there, 
Or maybe this happened to another employee, not me, because I've got my personal experience. Another employee gets there, and he's learned, listen, here's the deal. This is a really kind of meaningless and tedious job, so we're going to pay you $30,000 a month. Now think about how that future expectation of a payday would change the way that you counted seeds, right? Me, one, two, three, four, dreading my life, hoping to get out of there. This guy who knows he's being handsomely rewarded at the end of his pay period, $30,000 a month. What's he doing? He is whistling while he works. I can't believe I get paid $30,000 a month to count seeds. This guy, he, now listen, that probably wouldn't last for years, but it would last for a little while, right? For a 16-year-old kid. Now why? What's the deal? He has a hope for the future. His hope is placed in a future payday. His hope is placed in a a significant payday. And that hope reaches back into his today and changes the way he feels. I am hating my life as I'm counting for 475 an hour. And he's probably doing the math. What am I getting paid an hour? Hundreds of dollars, I'm sure. Didn't do the math, right? So your hope in the future has a way of changing how you feel and how you live in the present. That's why it's so important. I believe that hope is far more powerful than most of us believe. It is the anchor that our busy, stressed out, worried souls need in this season. Now this leads me to my second question this morning, and where should we put our hope? Can I ask you this morning, where do you usually put your hope? It's really common, this time of year especially, to put your hope in things that just won't hold and therefore won't keep your souls safe. To stick with our anchor analogy, it's like trying to anchor a boat when the waves are churning in a bedrock of jello. It doesn't matter how much we hope things are going to hold. If we put our hope in the wrong things, obviously the jello won't hold. It's really common right now that we start getting a little hopeful, but we start putting our hope in things that won't hold. What do we put our hope in? We put our hope in things like, quote, the Christmas spirit. What just what is the Christmas spirit? I don't know what the Christmas spirit is, but it doesn't it doesn't last past this weekend for me. I'll just tell you that much. Right? We do all the things as a family. We've got a lot of family traditions right now. So we have Thanksgiving with with a big extended family, and then the next day I go full Clark Griswold and hanging Christmas lights in our house or outside of our house. I have a competition with my last year self, right? Why? Because nobody else on my block can compete with me, so I compete with last year's self, right? And the kids all know it. Is it more than last year? Yeah, kids, it's more than last year, right? Takes me a full eight hours to hang all these Christmas lights. And we, we have this tradition. We go outside. We, tur- we turn Christmas music on in my truck. We blast the music through the, all the neighbors here, and uh, we start hanging lights. Now, here's the deal. It sounds great. Many of you are like, oh, it sounds fun. Yeah, until I pull the first Christmas light out, plug it in, and only half of it works, right? Every year. Immediately, I'm like, God, this is gonna be so good. Plug it in. Throw them across the yard, right? I gotta go buy more Christmas lights every year. Now, some of you, your hope 
doesn't move past Black Friday, right? You see all the deals. It's amazing. You, you're excited. The, Christ, the Christmas music is on in the stores. And then you go in and you get pepper sprayed over a toaster, right? Like it doesn't last. It doesn't hold. The Christmas spirit, the, we even had it in our confession this morning. We're so tempted to put our hope in sentimentality. It doesn't last very long if your hope is in sentimentality. Some of us, the younger among us, we might put our hope in these new clothes or new shoes that we think we're going to get for Christmas. That we're going to have this new image and we can't wait to show up on that first day back from school and everybody checks out our new shoes, our new clothes and says, oh, wow. Maybe we put our hope in new gadgets that are going to tell us we're important and we can answer all the buzzes and rings and everything else that we got going on our phone. Or maybe we put our hope in our family and friends. I remember last year, one of our traditions, again, is we go and cut down a real Christmas tree. And I've got five kids, and we're out cutting this Christmas tree. And one of my daughters, so I have one son and four daughters, pray for me. And uh, one, one of our daughters just woke up, in the, woke up on the wrong side of the bed, just woke up in a bad mood. And you know you've been there before. And this one daughter refused to, to uh, acquiesce to any Christmas tree. There was no Christmas tree that was good enough for one daughter. Everyone else, yes, this is the one. And two hours later, everyone was like, I don't care. Anything will work. And she's like, no, no, no. And we, had, we just had to say, I'm sorry, we're cutting this one down. And we cut it down, and she cried. As soon as the saws all hit the stump, she cried from there all the way back to the truck. And it's like, this is supposed to be such, such a fun family deal, and baby girl is just crying, right? You can't put your hope in your children. You can't put your hope in your family, in your friends. It just won't hold. Well, we're going to look at Romans chapter 5 because Jesus tells us and God tells us where we can put our hope that will hold. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open it up to Romans chapter 5 with me. A great passage of Scripture. And this passage of Scripture describes um, some of the realities of what we call or what the Bible calls the gospel, the good news. Here um, are some of, the, some of the good news about what Christ Jesus has done for us. And he's going to be very specific that we want, that Paul wants us to, and Jesus wants us to, and God wants us to put our hope in a place that is immovable, that will never let us down. And that, of course, is God himself. Let's read. Therefore, which means there was a whole lot that came before this that I don't have time to talk to you about. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is, we see right here that Christian hope is meant to be anchored to the gospel. Why? The gospel doesn't change. The gospel is a historical fact. The gospel is what God has done to save us from our sins. Let's keep reading it. He's going to go in, in depth here. Through him, that's through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We see there's past, present, even future aspects of the gospel. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Here's what he's saying. God sent Jesus Christ to us to live a life that none of us could live. God expects us to be perfect. God expects us to obey him in all things because God is holy and God is good and God is gracious and God has never done one thing uh, wrong. He's never sinned against us. And so he expects us to respond to his benevolence and his grace by being perfect ourselves. But we fail that. And so what did he do? He sent his own son who was perfect in our place to live the life that we should live and die the death that we deserve for our many sins. Why? He did that as a substitutionary. He took our place for us. And because of that, we have been made right with God. Scripture says we've been given peace with God. We've been saved by grace, and now we currently stand in that grace. And when we see what God has already done for us in Christ, no matter what is going on in our life right now, we can, quote, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And Paul tells us, listen, if you put your hope in the gospel, here's what you can believe. Here's how it will affect your everyday life. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. You see this chain here, this chain of events. If your hope is in Christ and the gospel, here are the implications. Here's what it's going to do in your life. Keep reading with me. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Now listen, Paul tells us that the gospel is actually unsearchable. What that means is the depths of the beauty and the riches of Christ, it's the hardest job of a preacher to get up here and share something you kind of know, but you don't really know. And what do I mean by that? We all kind of know the gospel, but there's riches to it. There's beauty and aspects to it that we haven't quite grasped yet. It's like the diamond that we've only looked at through one of its prisms, one of its facets. That gospel can be turned many different ways, and we see all kinds of different things through it. I want to zero in on kind of one thing this morning. Here's a what's often a terrifying thought. When we think about God and we think about a holy God, what I've already mentioned before, that God is without sin and that God expects us to obey him, I want you to think of every sin you have ever committed as a brick. It's a brick. Every lie, every lustful thought, every hurtful word, Every envious feeling, each one of them is a brick. And when you die, one day you will stand before God, and all of those bricks will be collected together in a net and hoisted over your head by a rope, and you will stand beneath them. For those outside of Christ, the guilty verdict will be read, and the rope will will be cut. 
And what is that? That is a person paying the price for every sin they've committed. Now, that's hard for us to get our mind around sometimes because we think of sin as just no big deal. We say things like, well, I'm not perfect, I'm human. We expect failures, we expect mistakes. But God isn't, and God what God doesn't expect mistakes. So think about if every sin was a brick, and how big would that net be? I know mine would be ginormous, and mine would surely crush me. And that would be just if God did that because I've earned that. I've deserved that. But when Paul says here that the price has been paid for our sins, what he means by that is for the Christian, when that net of bricks hung precariously over us, Jesus, at just the right moment, Jesus pushes us out of the way, he pushes us to the side, and he willingly takes our place, and those bricks that we deserve, those bricks fell on him. Jesus takes the full weight of our sin on his shoulders on the cross. He's paid the death penalty that frees us now from the fear of death. It frees us from the fear of God. If we thought that God was mad at us, if we thought that God was angry at us, because he has to be, he's holy and we're not, well, that drastically changes God's attitude towards you forever. Jesus takes your place, and if God was frowning over you because of his displeasure, because of your sin. Jesus' obedience for you and his sacrificial death for you changes God's face towards you, changes God's attitude to you now. He says he's poured God's love into your heart through the Holy Spirit, and he's given us redemption. He's made us new. Because of Jesus, Christians are reconciled to God. We're made right with God. God's no longer upset with us because of our many sins. We have nothing to fear. That day won't terrify us, and it should not trouble us today. Why? Because Jesus has made us right with God. Jesus has cleansed us from all our sins and he's given us this hope as a steadfast anchor to our soul, of our souls. So the most terrifying reality in all the universe is for a sinner to stand before a holy God. God has healed that. God has reconciled it. God has made a way for us to, to enter, the text said, enter behind the curtain. To come into his presence with no fear anymore. Think about this. If death and judgment, our greatest fears, have already been taken care of, won't Jesus take care of all of our lesser fears? Won't he do it? Won't he sustain us? Won't he heal us? Won't he guide us? So here's my final question for us. How do we get this type of hope? How do you get hope that's like an anchor? That when the world is going crazy, when your inner world is going crazy, that you, you're, you're lodged in something solid. How do you get this hope? 
To answer this simply, it's not going to be, it's not a trick answer. (laughs) We get this hope by looking to Jesus in faith. But what I want to do this morning, and what we should be doing during this time in Advent, we want to look backward, and we want to look forward. We've already started looking backward, right? This is how the Apostle writes to Titus, how he said it in uh, Titus 2, chapter 11, or chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared. Past tense. Jesus Christ has come. So if we want this kind of hope, the first thing we need to do is look back at Jesus's first advent. Look who he was. Look how he came. Look how he lived. Look how he died. Look how he rose from the dead. We put our hope in Jesus Christ because death could not beat him, right? All of that is in the past. All of that is in the historical record. If God has already done all of that for us, won't he finish his work? course he will. For the grace of God has appeared, he says, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present. So God's desire for us is to look back at the coming of Christ, have our hearts changed through the working of the Holy Spirit in us by the power of the gospel, and for us to live self-controlled, upright lives, right? That's how we should live in this age. This is why Christmas is such a big deal, that God became man to save us from our sins. And looking back to Christmas should fill each of us with incredible hope. So if you're struggling to place your hope in Christ this morning, I would encourage you to do two things. One, look back to Jesus's first coming. Look back at his first advent. There, Jesus, the Son of God, entered into our story to sympathize with us and to save us from our sins. But secondly, this is what we oftentimes fail to do during Christmas. We're also meant to look forward. We're meant to look forward to our blessed hope. We're looking forward to Christ's second coming. This is how Paul goes on there in Titus chapter 13, or chapter 2, verses 13, 14. He says this, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, listen, waiting for our blessed hope. We are living in between the times. Christ has come, and we're thankful for that, and he accomplished our salvation in his first coming. He saved us from the devil. He saved us from our sin, right? He's he's done all of this. He was resurrected, but we're living in between the times. Christ is still going to come again, and we're waiting right now, and we're meant to wait with a blessed hope. Listen to what the text says. A blessed hope. Hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify him for himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. That one day, Jesus Christ will come again. He will consummate his kingdom on this earth And he's going to renew it. He says, behold, I'm making all things new. What that means is everything we hate about this planet will be renewed and made new when Jesus Christ comes again. 
He will make this earth better than the Garden of Eden was. He will dwell once again with us. So Jesus accomplished on the cross that reconciliation we need with God. But don't we still feel distant? Don't we still feel sometimes he's far from us? Don't we still feel, man, sometimes in our darkest moments, is he real? Am I saved? Is this thing real? Is this legit? Don't we still feel that? Well, listen, that's, that's because we're living in a broken world. Christ has accomplished our salvation. He's poured the love of God in us, but we're still dealing with the flesh. We're still dealing with the devil. We're still dealing with the world in a fallen state. But one day, Jesus Christ comes back and makes it all new again. And one of my favorite statements, I, th- I think it's from Tolkien, could be from Keller, I don't know. He says, when Jesus Christ comes back again, everything sad will become untrue which means all of our sadness, we won't even remember it anymore. It'll be the dark backdrop that all the stars of heavens shine against. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. See, Christmas is about meditating on that reality. Christ has come, and yet Christ will come again, right? Christ has made us new, and he's making us new, but we're not what we're going to be. Future glory is going to be far beyond anything we can possibly imagine. None of us in this room, and this is the frustrating piece of being a preacher in a finite body using real words that I'm not, I I want to describe that day to you, and I'm just not smart enough to do it. I can't do it. But make no mistake, it will be so far above what any of us can imagine. Scripture says, quote, no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Listen to that. No eye has seen, It's more beautiful than any sunrise or any sunset you've ever seen. More beautiful than any any beach vacation you've been to. More beautiful than any mountain vista you've ever seen. More beautiful than any buck that has ever walked in your path. More beautiful than anything you've ever seen. More beautiful than anything you've ever heard. We had great singing up here today. It won't hold a candle. It's like holding a candle to the sun. We're going to hear things that we can't even imagine we're going to hear. And we try to imagine things in our heart. It's better than that. And God has prepared that for those who are in Christ. And your hope is both in the past in what Christ has done for you. And it springs forward into the future and it lodges itself in that future. And this is the beauty. When it lodges into that future, you can start pulling on that rope and it can start pulling you towards that expected future. And God is bringing us to that end. And it's better than any of us can possibly imagine. And that, if you know that, if you believe that in your heart, that can change even your suffering today. That can change even your frustration to today. That can change what, how you're feeling about whatever it is you're going through. The God who created the galaxies has prepared a future for us 
that will make the most reserved among us shout and dance and sing. Do you want that future? There's only one way to get that future, and that is by putting your faith in the Son of God who lived for you, who died for you, who's ruling and reigning in heaven right now for you, and who will one day come to make all things new. And so, as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, I'm gonna ask, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, don't come and take the elements this morning. Take Christ by faith. Pray to him and say, will you take those bricks away from me? Will you you take my place Will you become my savior? Will you be my Lord? Will you lead me towards that expected future? Ask him to do that, and he surely will. And for the rest of us, the Lord, on the night that he was betrayed, he he took the bread, he took the cup, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so one of the beauties that we get to do this morning as Christians, and this is something that roots us with the disciples, it roots us with Christ himself, it roots us with all the Christians that have come before us, is we get to eat as God's redeemed family this morning. Christian, you have been reconciled to God. You have been made new. You have been made family. You have been made his children, his sons, his daughters, and one day you will be made totally new. And guess what? When we eat this meal this morning, the Bible tells us it's proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns, right? We are doing, this is an Advent celebration. As we eat, we're proclaiming his death and we're proclaiming the fact that he's coming again to save us and make all things new, right? It is a great opportunity for us. So if you would come as you normally come this morning, and you would take the, the elements, and then I'll, I'll, I'll lead us to it, through it at the, at the very end. So I'll pray for us. Father God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy and your kindness seen to us in Jesus Christ. And Lord God, I pray that all of us would put our hope in you today, that you are the only one that can pull us through every dark season. You are the only one that can pull us through every sadness all our mourning, all our anger, all our fear. You can pull us through this life and we can land safely on the shores of the new heavens and the new earth. You are the one that has never lost a single one that the Father has given you. And so we put our hope in you. Would you give us faith to believe it? In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.